Now, laboratory values, there are so many because every system has a specific values that are very unique to that system. Take for example, we're talking about the neurological system. There are values that are unique to the neural system that give us information about the neurological uh, disorder or, or, or conditions. We're talking about the GI system. There are values that are unique to the GI system that help us to uh, diagnose uh, GI conditions. We're talking, we're talking about the musculoskeletal system. There are laboratory values that are very unique also to the musculoskeletal system. One is a fracture. Those domains that give us insight about the system start to go wrong. They might not be going on the increase or on the decrease. A laboratory value has three sides. We have the normal, which is, which is what we want to have. The normal values. We have the abnormal values. Now we have the normal values and we have two different abnormal values. Now these abnormal values, the first one will be the low, lower than normal, which is become which is the hypo value, and you have the higher value or the higher normal value, which is the hyper value. So whether it is hypo, it is low than normal, or it is hyper, which is higher than normal, it is regarded as an abnormal value. So you can start from everywhere and go as you move on from system to system. You get to know these values and the importance of how they work for the body. Now, take for example for sodium. Uh, sodium is generalized value that works for every system that show us how our body is coping or how our body is doing. So sodium affect almost all body system. So it is a generalized uh, value that we talk about. Now sodium. In a sense, you might hear someone saying it is uh, it is the chief constituent electrolyte for the ECF. That means it maintains osmotic pressure. It plays a major role in acid-base balance. Um, that means you have two different systems, the ECF and the ICF, technically. Now, the ECF is the body compartment that contains fluids outside of the cell's body. That's why it's called the ECF, the extracellular fluid. Now within the ECF, the extracellular fluid, um, the major, the major, the major cation or the major regular is sodium. It is found in there in huge amount. Now for sodium, um, it is merely absorbed from the small intestine and it is excreted in the urine in amounts depending on the dietary intake. Um, we should have a, 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 a maximum data intake or required data intake that should not be above 15 milliequivalent or milliequivalent. That's the normal minimum intake of sodium we should have per day, 15 milli, uh, milliequivalent. Now, um, when we are doing sodium samples, 
our concern for enters becomes what are those things we could do um what are those nursing tips that we want to put into place when we are doing sodium blood draw there are things we look out for there are food we want to try to avoid we want to make sure it is we follow the right procedure to obtain this laboratory result because in the any mistake in how we get the the, the, the blood sample it, it might lead to alteration of the the desired results we want to make sure um we draw the blood sample from the opposite arm or extremity that carries an IV fluid that contains sodium so if we if we are on a sodium uh, fluid on the left arm we do not want to draw the blood sample from the left arm because it's going to be there will be increased in that part of the arm because the body had not gone to regulate the sodium circulation in the body adequately at the point it is being infused so those are tips we look at we want to make sure um we uh look out when we are putting on the tunicate the thing that cannot stay long on the arm while you're drawing uh, these laboratory results. The same is applied to potassium. Now, potassium in itself, potassium is another major uh, last for the body. Potassium in itself is in the ICF, the intracellular fluid space. Now, the ICF for, potas for potassium, it is the major fluid component that is made out of the ICF meaning the intracellular fluid space what is found in the body of the cells because you might have you now you might have or you have the cells body what exists in the body is potassium and outside the cells body where the cells float and live what exists in that compartment is the ECL which is the sodium Like I'm saying, the intracellular fluid, what is in there, the, 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 the largest constant of lipids is the potassium. Now, and that's the reason why in the end class, if we were asked to pick up a patient who is more critical uh, among four patients or between two patients who have two health conditions with regular problems or imbalances, you have patient A who has an increased or uh, increased sodium, and patient B who has an increased potassium. Now, the sodium and potassium are two different two different electrolytes. They are causing problems. Which one can we go for? Now, so what comes to our mind is that what is in the cells? What is in the cells is more systemic compared to what is outside the cells body. So potassium uh, problem is always prioritize ahead of sodium problem depending on the the severity but in but on the average we give more priority to potassium problem harassing in the body compared to a sodium problem because potassium due to the heart directly it is within the cell that control the body so that's what i want to understand now potassium regulates cellular water balance meaning what is in the cell body they do that Potassium conduct electrical impulses in the in the muscle cells and also regulates acid base balance. So when you are having arrhythmia or those dysrhythmic conditions, 
Many of many at times it can be linked to potassium problems. Other hyper or hypopotassium problem in the body, which could stimulate those uh, heart conditions. Now, the body obtains potassium from what we eat, and potassium preserve or excrete potassium. Uh, sorry, the kidneys preserve or excrete potassium. So. The level of potassium we have in our body is dependent on what we eat because what we eat majority of the time uh, either increase or decrease our level of potassium in our body depending on what we're having. Now, this level of potassium can be used to evaluate one cardiac function, our heart ability to function. We could use potassium to know how our heart is functioning, that's one. We could use it to know how the kidneys are functioning because the kidneys are where they are preserved and excreted. So depending on the kidney condition, we could be having hyperpotassium problem, which is hyperkalemia, or we could be having hypokalemia, which is decreased potassium problem. Now, I'm not going to go into the value for these laboratory results because you should know them, look up them, and know what they are. Now, um... Sometimes also our GI problem and the need for IV replacement therapy is determined by potassium levels in our body. Now, um, a patient who is on potassium supplementation, we need to make sure we monitor them continuously until the potassium is completed and up to after the completion of the potassium infusion. We need to monitor them and know their status every time because a little increment in the level of potassium in the body can lead to a potassium problem. We need to make sure um, these individuals also monitor that monitor WBC because in many cases when you on potassium fluid or potassium supplementation it leads to false increment of the white blood cells also in the body. So you want to make sure um when you got obtaining blood sample, you look at the the, the, the the doctor's prescription, identify foods, medication, or other factors that might affect the laboratory result for these regulars, either potassium or sodium. We want to make sure we explain to the to the patient the purpose of the procedure or the test they are about to take, the blood draw sample. Tell them how 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 it's gonna be. Want to make sure we we maintain the venipuncture site for bleeding disorders or complication. Want to maintain and deliver the specimen to the laboratory immediately after the procedure. Uh, because sometimes if you take longer time, it might also alter the result for the procedure. Um. Then we have uh, chloride. Chloride is another important electrolyte that, that is found in the body. You have uh, bicarbonate, which can be in venous circulation. It's also important in the body. And uh, you have one of the most important things about the, about the laboratory value. Don't look at uh, blood coagulation study. Coagulation studies with uh, this, um, with their tips. Now, 
Besides potassium, magnesium, uh, uh, sodium, and other electrolytes, the phos phosphorus and other things that are found in the body, the body needs, um, there are other important things we also look up to. Like when it comes to correlation studies, it is important we understand these different uh, studies about, about coagulation and make sure we understand these values that govern us when we are carrying on these studies. Now, the blood contains different compartments. Uh, the blood contains fluid. It contains red blood cells portion. It contains protein. It contains other solutes. It contains platelets. It contains white blood cells. And you have different type of white blood cells. There are five white blood cells in the body. You have the neutrophil, the eosinophil, the basophil, the monocyte, and the lymphocyte. These are the five different blood cells within the body. Now, um, if you look at these blood compartments, they all play major roles when it comes to our body maintenance. Any alteration in any of these compartments, it leads to a serious health condition that, that uh, we are not prepared for. And that's why I want to make sure always, we want to try to like, uh, be on the safe side to always monitor these uh, laboratory results. Now, at times, there are some laboratory results that we do, some uh, of these results can be influenced by our daily activities. The food we eat, um, the job we do, a lot of time these things can influence our laboratory results. Now let's look at the APTT, the activated, the, uh, it's called APTT, is the activated partial tumoplastin time, APTT. Now this is one of the laboratory findings we we'll look up when we're doing study for coagulation. Um, this evaluates how well our body clotting system is functioning um, when we when we have uh, certain things occurring in our body. So how the body how, how it this this tells you how long it takes for the blood to coagulate. Now there are two things I want, I want to say about this. We have the normal time with our medications, and we have the time with medication. And many at times in the NCLEX, the NCLEX will not give you the normal value or ask for the value for this result of for this. They wouldn't ask you for the APTT for a patient who is not on medication, because we are we are used to. The normal value of our medication, so they're going to ask you more often about question about a patient who is already on medication and they will ask you for the normal value. And then what they're going to do is that they're going to add the normal value with our medication in the answer and they will add the normal value with medication also in the, in the answer. So that can be confusing. And then if you don't, if, if you're not reading correct, if, if you're not reading with understanding, you can have a problem in answering the question. Now, this test screens for blood problem. The last time we talked about um, factor eight, factor nine condition.
We talk about hemophilia, bleeding condition. So this test detects or evaluates patients for these bleeding problems. Whether our blood can coagulate or it wouldn't coagulate. Now, um, so in this bleeding problem like hemophilia, the blood cannot clot. The blood fails to clot. And now, the body is made in this way. We do not want our blood to clot very fast than usual, which, which could expose us to DIC, this means that intravascular coagulopathy. And if our blood takes forever to clot, we might also be exposed to other bleeding disorders like hemophilia or, uh, or other conditions. So the body, our blood needs to clot with a particular time frame to make it normal. If it takes longer than the time to clot, we are having bleeding disorder. If it clot very fast than normal, we are having also clotting problems, clotting factor disorder. So basically, we want our body system to clot our blood with time or regulate it. If it's time to, for, the, for, for the blood to clot, let the blood clot. If the time is not necessary for, for the body to have clot formation, we should not have clot, clot formation. So if we have wound, traumatic condition, we, we want the body, the body to have platelets that are going to come in and cause blood to clot to prevent blood loss. Now, in terms of normal condition, um, when we do not have any wound, any traumatic condition, we do not expect the blood to clot. If the blood begins to clot at that point in time, we are being exposed, exposed to clotting disorder. So that's what's happening in here. So this test um, it screens for blood deficiency and other inhibitor disorder of all factors except factor 7 and factor 8. So factor 7 and factor 8 are the only two blood tests uh, and only two conditions that we cannot experience or we cannot detect with this APTT. Factor 7 and factor 8 disease conditions cannot be examined by doing the activated partial thromoplastin time. But besides this factor, every other factor condition, factor 9, factor 10, the body is able to detect uh, this condition. Now, if you are really anxious and you read about factor 7, factor 8, meaning there are other factors. So this should lead you, it should give you the appetite to look up other factor conditions that have blood problem. That's how you do your study. Now, we want to make sure this APTD is used to monitor how effective a patient is while he or she is on heparin therapy. That's one important of this test, of this APTD. So when you start a heparin medication of a patient, um, you want to make sure you start to do this test to know how effective the medication is or how exposed the patient is to building disorder. That's one thing we use. Now, you want to make sure when you're serving heparin, you screen for disorder. Um, the value at this stage, um, it depends on the type of activator we use. 
But the value usually between 200 to 36 seconds. That's the normal value between 20 to 36 seconds. So meaning, um, this is the time it takes for our blood to go through normal coagulation. Um, when, uh, on a normal coagulation. Let me, let me stop right there. Now, meaning at this point, we're not on medication. This is the normal time it takes for our blood to go through coagulation without medication. Now, um, with medication, this time, this range is out of 1.5 to 2.5 times the normal time this normal. Meaning, if we are on heparin medication, heparin, if we are on heparin, it takes us 1.5 to 2.5 times this normal time for our blood to clot. Because heparin is a what? It's a what medication is it? It's a it's, it's an anticoagulant, uh, meaning it helps the blood to be thinner. So when you get the word coagulation, it means clotting. So when you get the word anticoagulant, meaning it helps to prevent blood from clotting. And one of those medications is heparin. So heparin prevents blood clots. That's why when you're on heparin, we monitor for bleeding precaution. Because it thins the blood, which can cause blood or bleeding problem. So for that, that's the reason why we want to always check it. Now, when we're on this medication, this time will change. So in the end class, if they ask you, a patient is about to start heparin medication or heparin infusion, what is the expected blood level for this patient after a blood draw? A says patient blood level is 28, B says it's 41, C says it's 64, and D says it's 16. What could be what, what could be a normal blood level for a patient who we expect to do a, hep, a heparin infusion? This patient has not started the medication yet. What could be a normal blood, blood level for this patient among these four uh, values? Okay. Now, tell the forty, right? Take it as tell the 40, depending on the book you are reading. Yes, still, it will still be between, today will be the normal of value. Even if it tell the 40, today will be the normal value. It, it is the nearest to the normal of, of value. Now, um, some will say tell the 40, some will give you 20 to, 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 to 36. Now, so, in this, in this situation, I, I wrote here the normal value, so this becomes the correct answer. Now, in, on the other side, let's agree that uh, our patient was at 28, that, that, that is the ABT was at 28, before we started the infusion of the heparin. Now the heparin has gone for like 15 minutes, and then uh, what could be the normal APTD for a patient who is on heparin infusion. Now, they're going to put a C28 in there or 30 
or something within this range. Now, at this point in time, it, it's not going to be the same number because we said why on every feature it should be 1.5 to 2.5 times the normal value. So, by that by that time, we should we should be able to figure out what 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 the normal of value is because if we multiply this value by 1.5 to 2.5, we should have something within the 40 range or the 60 range. So anything at this, hello. So it's, it's around it's around uh, for the one right. So we times this twenty by one point five, and we times this ten so by two point five. We will have the normal range. Now that means our value that should be considered normal for a patient on heparin infusion, it should be one point five to two point five times the actual normal value without infusion of any medication. That's how it, that's how it is in the anchor. Now, um, sometimes we might have a prolonged value. Um, any value that lasts longer above 90 seconds while receiving heparin therapy, we want to measure and, 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 and initiate bleeding precaution because if the person is on this medication, heparin infusion, and the blood takes more than 90 seconds to clot, that means this patient is at the highest risk for hemorrhage or bleeding problems. So we should begin to put in those bleeding precautions to prevent the complication. Does that make sense? Now, then, we also want to state that uh, before you administer heparin medication, you want to make sure you consider the following. We do not check the test. Uh, we cannot check for everything from the same arm the heparin is being infused. It's going to give, it's going to give us false results. That's one. Two, we cannot transport the specimen to the Laboratory after a long period of time, it should be done immediately once it is the blood is the blood sample is taken, it should go to the laboratory right away to test it for the APT to give an accurate result. We want to make sure to apply direct point uh, direct pressure at the venipuncture site to prevent bleeding, which we could do for up to five minutes after the after the blood draw. We put pressure for at least three, three to three to five minutes. We want to make sure um, if the patient is on intermittent heparin infusion, we draw the blood sample one hour before the scheduled dose. Now, we have continuous heparin infusion. We have intermittent heparin infusion. If they are on intermittent heparin infusion, that means we serve the first heparin infusion it should last for one hour for example so after the one hour they say give it every four hours q4 hourly so the first one started at 2 p.m to 3 p.m it ended 
So maybe we should wait for another six, six hours before we can start the next one, which is four hourly, right? Now, within this period of time, within this period of time, we want to make sure before we administer the next medication, if we have a blood draw to test for APTD, it should be done one hour before the next uh, heparin administration. Any question? Before you administer heparin, you want to make sure and have the antidote available. If you do not have heparin antidote available, do not administer heparin. Any medication for that fact that has an antidote, you do not want to administer it in the absence of the antidote. It might cause a serious problem or life-threatening problem if you do not have the antidote. The patient might lose his or her life because there is no antidote to counteract the effect of, of, of the medication. And what is the uh, and what is the heparin, uh, and what is the heparin antidote? Okay, sulfate. Now, then we we'll look at the next one, which is um, the PT. The PT is the protrobing, protrobing time. Now, many at times the PT and the iron arrow move side by side. The, the international normalized ratio and the protrobing time to move side by side. Now, protrobing is a vitamin K dependent glycoprotein. And it's produced by the liver and is necessary for fibrin clot formation. Protrobin is a glycoprotein that is produced by the liver that also functions in blood clot formation. More often, uh, importantly, it functions in fibrins, uh, fibrins clotting formation. That's the function of the PT. Now, the PT acts just like uh, the APTT. Now, but the PT um, gave us a normal or control value based on the type of test that we have ordered for the patient. The PT talks about the amount of time or a measure the amount of time it takes in seconds for our blood to clot um in response to commanding use to either see whether the patient is having some extrinsic clotting system or clotting problem that might result from liver disease vitamin k difficulty or dic because we said the pt is a glycoprotein that is produced by the liver so when there is a problem with the liver, we might have a PT problem. We might have a blood clotting problem. When there is a DIC, we look at PT because they are all linked to what? The PT. Um, a PT value within two seconds, minus or plus of the control is considered normal. What, what does that mean? A PT value within two seconds, minus or plus two seconds, is regarded as normal. That means 
if we have 12, if it is 22, it's normal. If it is 18, it's normal. That, that, that's the plus and minus. So plus and minus is also considered as normal PT time when it comes to uh, the glycoprotein testing. Now, the INR, the International Normalized Ratio, INR, is frequently used to also measure how effective these oral medications that help to that that that, that, that helps us work. So the INR measure for us um, oral blood clotting uh, oral blood thinning medication. So the Coumadin, Coumadin comes in oral form. It comes in PO. So because it comes in PO, so we more often use INR to check it and know how fast our blood clots using Coumadin. Now, INR can be used for any other medication that is administered orally for blood clotting. The INR ratio it is measured in, in the laboratory depending on which laboratory you might be uh, using. Now, the value of the PT it, uh, it varies with sexes. Male will have 9.6 to 11.8, while female will have 9.5 to 11.3. So male will be higher in seconds compared to females when it comes to the PT timing. Um, for the iron arrow, for the standard dose for Coumadin is always 2 to 3 for standard Coumadin therapy. And uh, for high dose Coumadin therapy is 3 to 4.5. That's how we measure the INR, the International Normalized Ratio for PO medications that help to thin blood. Now, so this tells you that there are other medications that we did not make mention on their names that are blood thinner. We can measure them by using the iron arrow. So in the end, they might not use Coumadin. They might use other blood clotting medication that they will ask you for what could be the best measure used to test its clotting time. So it is the iron arrow that we could use in that situation. Now, um, you want to make sure you also apply the same nursing management we applied in the APTD for PT timing and iron iron. We want to make sure diets that are high in leafy vegetable, green leafy vegetable, can also increase the absorption of vitamin K, which can shorten the PT time. So vitamin K shortens the PT time because it is an antidote for the PT. Um, sorry, for commanding. So because of that, it shortens the PT time. So when we are to consume uh, green liver vegetable, which is high in vitamin K, it should be done with caution because the more we eat it, the shorter the PT time. So that 9.6 to 11.5 to, to 11 will not be 9.6 to 11.5 if 
we are consuming huge quantity of, of green living vegetables which has high in vitamin K. It won't be that same time. It will be shorter than the normal time. Just so you know that. Want to make sure also, um, <clears throat> if we are on medication, Kumandine, if we are on Kumandine and we do the PT, we do not expect the same value just as we did in the APTT. It's not going to be the same. If we are on Kumandine, the value for PT will be 1.5 to 2.0 compared to the no uh, uh, 2.0 compared to the normal value so it'll be 1.5 to 2.0 times the normal values so uh want to make sure any longer value above 30 seconds while receiving uh command day want to make sure we we deploy uh building precautions so with aptd we have why more than 90 seconds you want to make sure you write in your in your notepad aptt you have 1.5 to 2.5 time with heparin therapy um you want to pull here protamine sulfate um as the antidote and you also want to make sure uh you put 90 seconds here as complications for the pt it is 1.5 to 2.0. You put in here uh, Kumandine, Kumandine, or you can put that uh, Wolverine. And uh, the antidote is vitamin K. You want to put here anything above 30 seconds. It's a complication with bleeding. Any question? When you on this medication, you want to make sure you check the platelet counts um, and other things for the medication. And also have other laboratory values that we can look at when it comes to uh, general laboratory value for the body. <clears throat> Some of those values will include the D, the D dimer. The D dimer test, the bleeding time, and other things. Now, for the bleeding time, the bleeding time tells us um, how our platelet can respond to injuries and cause vessel constriction. So, when there is a trauma, when, when, when there is a wound occurring on our body, when there is a break in the skin integrity, there will be blood that will come out. We'll have a bleeding time. So this bleeding time depends on our platelets, which can help to form blood clots formations. So these formations depend on our platelets. So the bleeding time depends also on the amount of platelets we have to stop the bleeding. Um, it is useful to do a bleeding time, which can help detect for us bleeding disorders or who have platelet disorders it can help us now the normal values for bleeding time varies um some of the older books will say there are two different types but there might be more than two 
you have the 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 Abbey meta and you have the duke meta the Abbey says three to six times or uh, sorry three to six mini what the dukes the duke meta states one to three mini at a normal building time for the two different testing value we're going to use um for this test there are some specific before you can do all of these tests you want to check the client medication history to reconcile what meds they've been on has the client been on any blood medication like heparin comandine aspirin if if they have been on any of these medication there will be an alteration in in or in the results of the medication you want to check that and also have that established so if they are going for the bleeding time you want to make sure that they should stop all blood thinning medication three days 72 hours before the test can be done so before we do this test patient needs to stop all blood thinning medication for 72 hours before the test can be done to provide an accurate test result you want to make sure um, you inform the patient about the punctures that are made to measure the time it takes for bleeding to stop. So we, we, we create wounds on the body. They will create a puncture. They will create punctures, not a puncture. They will create many punctures on the body. And they wait and see for the half bleeding occurring and how long it takes for the blood to stop coming out if we get uh if 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 or uh, 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 if we got the injury out there so that's how we do the bleeding time for patients with bleeding with bleeding problems we want to always apply pressure after 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 the procedure for the bleeding time then we also do the d dimer test the d dimer test this test determines um, <clears throat> our clot formation and it also how our blood cells are destroyed as a result of fibrin's degradation. So fibrin's are blood clotting agents. If they get, if they get de uh, degraded or they get destroyed through other means like lashes and other things in the body, it exposes us to having bleeding problem. So meaning we are having low platelets and fibrins is one of the platelet groups within the blood. So if we are having low fibrin in the body, it leads to bleeding problems. You want to make sure this test can help to diagnose thrombus within our body. If we are having deep vein thrombosis, uh, or we are having pulmonary embolism, we are having stroke, we are having DIC. This D gamma test help, helps us to monitor the blood system and can also diagnose um, stroke, pulmonary embolism, PE. Um, it also Diagnosed for us DIC. It also diagnosed for us um, like you have um, deep vein thrombosis, 
dvt so with this d dharma test we can we can know or we can know uh we get to know whether we are having these problems existing in our body so if a patient has stroke if a patient having a problem they experience symptoms of stroke we can do d dharma to identify or to confirm our diagnosis Any question on the dharma test so we can go on and on you have the esr erythrocyte sedimentary rate um it is the rate at which red blood cells settle out of anti-corrosion blood within one hour so we draw the blood how long it takes the blood the red blood cells to settle because if you draw the blood right if you're going to transfuse blood when the blood is 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 is, is placed in a bag and is is hanging somewhere for after one hour, um, you're gonna see the blood, the thick part of the blood, which is the blood rare blood cells, will descend at the bottom, and you have this fluid clear portion, which which is the serum and the plasma, you will see it suspended above the rare blood cells. So what has to dump that the time it takes to go through that is what we call the sedimentary rate. That's what happened in there. So it takes one hour for us to have ESR done for a patient. It is a non-specific test to detect other conditions, like when there is chronic infection, inflammation, cancer, cancer disorders, and tissue necrosis, or even when there is infection, like myocardial infarction. This can be done to know what's happening to patients of this condition. It has a value which is between 0 to 30 millimeter per hour, which is not really important. Uh, just look at it because now we don't know what can come in, into, but just look at it, but it's not really important. To, they might not ask for this value. Uh, then we have hemoglobin and hematocrits, which you can look up yourself. We have the red blood cells count. You can look up that yourself. Look up the function. Look up uh, how can it be done. Then you have other cardiac this or other cardiac blood tests. Then you have the CKMB. So you have the cardiac blood test, cardiac markers. Um, you have the CKMB, the creatinine kinase MB. Um, <coughs> The creatinine kinase is an enzyme found in the brain. Uh, this creatinine kinase reflects tissue damage resulting from cell trauma. So when there's a tissue damage within the body, one of the first one that shows within the, the, within the brain cells, one of the first one that shows is uh, the creatinine kinase. Um, this can rise very fast when there's a heart disorder within uh, 18 hours after the disorder or after the trauma done to the tissues. It stays like that up to two or three days. So within two or three days, when we do the test for creatinine kidneys for these disorders, for these trauma conditions to the to the muscles of the of, of the heart and other part of the body, we can see this uh, test, this result higher in laboratory values um the test can be done the creatinine kinase 
when there is myocardial tissue damage or there is a skeletal muscle damage we can detect uh an abnormal ckmb in this situation so a normal ckmb is between 26 to 174 um units per liter which uh, just look at it but the matter will ask for the value just look at the value um to have an idea of what it's going to be just in case if they ask you you can see what many times i'm asking this coming but I, 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 I know that they will always ask you for uh what about the value can someone order if a patient has myocardial infection or a patient has angina so this is one of the tests you can also order for the patient when they have these conditions so you have uh different types normal value is 26 to 174 you can look you can look them up in the book <coughs> now <coughs> um <coughs> excuse me now then we also have when there is neurological damage that everybody brings <coughs> excuse me what i talk about the brain <coughs> it can also be found within the blood system it is a brain tissue damage we also have um all of this can be dead there are different kind of creatinine the ckmb is for the heart directly so the ckmb for the heart directly is for the cardiac cells then you have uh the ckbb is for the brain directly is the brain test when there's a brain damage We'll see an increment in the CKBB um, when there is a muscle damage, like in the case of scalentide muscle damage, which is a CKMM. It's for muscle damage, like the scalentide muscle damage. So these are different types, uh, different types of creatinine kidneys according to what is happening to the body. Um, sometimes also, like I said earlier, I said some of these tests, the body might not be into a sick or into an ill state, but what we engage into can also expose us to alteration in these results. Like for the creative, for the, like for the CKMM, for the muscle uh, problems, sometimes there might not be any muscle or, or tissue damage. If we engage into strenuous exercises, it also increase the creatinine kidneys mm in the body so which could also be a factor that might you want to consider uh to avoid strenuous exercise 24 hours before completing the ck mm test you want to make sure to avoid alcohol injection ingestion before this procedure 24 hours you want to uh it is an invisible procedure and there will be an intramuscular injection which may also increase the CKMM when you do an IM or IV injection that is damage to the muscle tissue it could also inflict falsely the result of the CKMM then you have the troponin which is also a cardiac marker troponin Troponin is also 
a cardiac marker, troponin level. Now, for the troponin, so it can also be found within, like I said, is the protein found within striated muscle, like the skeletal and the myocardial muscle, the heart muscle and the skeletal muscle are striated muscle. Uh, these muscles, we can find troponin in them when there's a problem in there. So there's an increased amount of troponin released into the bloodstream when there's a myocardial infarction or there's a muscle damage. There'll be increased amount of troponin that will flow into the blood cells that can help to determine uh, that there is a damage done to muscles that are striated within the body, more forget the cardiac and other skeletal muscle. We also get to know that, that these levels can be high as soon as there, there's a damage within three hours, there will be increment in the troponin level within the body. Uh, we also want to understand that for this increment, it remains in there until up to 14 days, 7 to 14 days. Now we have troponin, uh, different troponin, we have troponin R, troponin T, they are all different levels. Um, the test can be repeated within 12 hours or as prescribed, followed by daily testing for 3 to 5 days. That's how we need to understand. So we'll do the test for the verb first time the test can be repeated after 12 hours then it can be followed by at least um during the test for three to five days so after the first test is done go back and do a repeat after 12 hours or do it as prescribed then it goes we follow it by daily testing for three to five days. Then we stop. Because we said when there's a cardiac damage, troponin remains elevated for up to seven, seven days, it remains elevated. So we make sure we check the blood repeatedly every, every day or every two hours for at least three to five days. We want to make sure you cannot keep puncturing one site. You got to rotate the vein, the, the vein puncture site for the troponin test. Then we have the myoglobin. So the myoglobin, the myoglobin is another test for the heart. Myoglobin. Myoglobin could be done also or can be done also. It is a test that contains protein is a protein test but this situation you have o2 binding with protein in myoglobin so o2 binding with protein is can, can also be found in cardiac and and, and skeletal muscle just as the troponin because they both the both muscles are also striated muscles um when there's an injury to the skeletal muscles system which will cause a release of the myoglobin which is a protein that binds with O2 there will be increased release within the blood just as there was an increased release of troponin in the blood when there's an injury occurring to both the skeletal and the uh, and the cardiac muscles so that's what happened in the case of myoglobin 
Now for the myoglobin, the levels start to get high. It gets high as early as two hours. And it stays high for a certain period of time. And then it begins to decline within se after seven hours. Unlike the troponin that goes high within three hours, the myoglobin goes high within two hours. So these are things I want you to understand the difference between 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 these things. When you read them, and make sure you highlight these portions and understand what you are reading to understand exactly what the book is saying to understand those things is very important because if you don't understand them, they can be very tricky. Then you might be studying troponin and thinking it is myoglobin myoglobin you are studying. Um Because myoglobin level is not cardiac specified and rises and falls so rapidly, it is used in diagnosing myocardial infarction. But we cannot rely on this test to diagnose MI because because it, 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 it because um, it does not have to be only the cardiac cells that can increase this level in the blood. It could also be other muscle cells or skeletal muscle cells. So it can be done, but it is not a specific test that we can do to diagnose MI. So in the end class, they might ask you, they might put myoglobin, they might put other tests, other like the CK, I'm sorry, like the, 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 they might put like a other laboratory procedure in there to ask you. This can be done, but it is not a specified test to diagnose myocardial infarction. Just what I want you to know. Now, um, then we have the natural uretic peptide. This came in my ankles. The next test is the natural uretic peptide. This came in my ankles. Um, this, these are neuroendocrine peptides that are used to identify kind of high feeder. Don't think about neuropeptide. That is chemistry. You don't have time for that. Just on that this test diagnosed for us heart failure. So it is one of the major tests. At the time that 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 confirm heart failure, this uh, natural uretic peptide it diagnosed for us heart failure. That's the one of the biggest things that looks that diagnoses heart failure for us. That's how we can understand. Now, there are three types of these tests or these peptide tests. The first one is the ANP. It keep my ankles and I never forget it. Anymore. The AMP is the first one. The AMP. Now, in the AMP, it is the test done. It is called the atrial natural uretic peptide. I called the AMP, the atrial natural uretic peptide. This test synthesized. Uh, this this peptide is synthesized in the cardiac atrial muscle. Uh, then you have the BNP, 
the BMP, which is the brain, the brain tap, it's called a brain natural uretic peptide BMP. It is in the size in the cardiac ventricular muscles. And then you have the CNP. The CNP, CNP, it is called a C type. The C type natural with the peptide, it is synthesized by the endothelial cells of the skin, right? So they are, they are or in the endothelial cell, they where they are synthesized. Now, um, the BNP, let's talk about the BNP. The BNP is the most important cardiac marker that identifies heart failure as the cause of dyspnea in patient. So, um, Patient might have dyspnea because when you have heart failure, you have dyspnea. So patient went to the hospital and having dyspnea, having other symptoms of heart failure, we do the BNP for them to identify and to confirm that the dyspnea they are having is being caused by the heart failure. So a patient with dyspnea, their heart failure can be can cause the dyspnea, but that can be confirmed by doing the BNP, the brain natural uretic peptide test. Can diagnose for or can confirm for all that the dyspnea patient is having that dyspnea is being caused by heart failure. So that's why I came in my ankles. Now, this BNP is important because when we do the BNP, the higher the BNP level, the higher the BNP level, the more severe the more severe the heart condition. The lower it is, the lesser the severity of the heart condition. Um, if the BMP is elevated, meaning dyspnea is due to heart failure. So the patient has dyspnea and we did a BMP test. If the BMPs are elevated, Meaning the patient dyspnea is being caused by a heart condition, HF, heart failure. Now, if the BMP is normal, meaning, let's say a patient has dyspnea, and we did the BMP test. If it is high, meaning the BMP is confirmed that the dyspnea the patient is having is caused by a heart failure condition. If the BMP is normal and they are having dyspnea, meaning the dyspnea is not coming from the heart problem, it's coming from other problems like pulmonary disorder or lungs disorder. That's why they are having because dyspnea could either be either the lungs or the heart. So so if you are the primary provider, let's say you are an MP, a nurse practitioner seeing patient at your at your clinic, and you had the patient on you, you are the patient PCP primary care provider and they came in they said oh i'm having shortness of birth i can't breathe i'm having dyspnea so it's, it's shouldn't to lab crop and do the bnp they did a bnp the result came back 
and uh, you find that the patient having the, the, the BAB level are normal. So before the before they return to you, you are thinking whether should I see this man to see a cardiologist or a pulmonologist. So depending on your lab reserve, you as the MP or the PCP will know why the patient needs to go to the cardiologist or the pulmonologist. So that means for cardiologist, if the patient has dyspnea and they are having increased blood nitrate uretic peptide level, meaning we're sending them to the cardiologist, meaning the, the, the dyspnea is being caused by heart failure. That is a cardiology condition. Now, if they are having uh, dyspnea, but their dyspnea does not correlate with the value of the BNP level, meaning the BNP level is normal, that means this patient needs to see a pulmonologist because the heart, the dyspnea is not being caused by the heart, it's being caused by the lungs. So they need to go and see a pulmonologist. Any question? Any question? So you have the albumin also. The next laboratory result is the albumin. Now, so you all look up the AMP, the CMP also in uh, your free time to know what they entail. Now, they have uh, albumin. Albumin is also another, another laboratory result that uh, we look up to it is the main plasma protein for the blood, albumin. The function of albumin is to maintain the blood on contact pressure, to transport bilirubins, to transport fatty acid, to transport medications, hormones, and other substances that are not dissolvable in water. So anything that the body cannot transport or that, that cannot dissolve in water is being transported by albumin. That's the function of albumin. So many a time when you have high level of cholesterol, we check the albumin level. So cholesterol and other fatty food we eat um, the blood cannot transport those things by itself because they are not soluble in water. So it's like if you enter a drum of water into the oil or into in, into in, into oil of uh, into oil or something like that, it's not going to mix. So that's how in the body, if we consume too much of other foods, the blood cannot transport these other foods. The blood depends on albumin. To transport these oily and fatty materials or fatty nutrients we consume. Now, so if abdomen fails to transport these things, it leads to other conditions like heart failure, heart condition, other uh, serious health problems that we might experience. Um, then when you take medications, medications are not part of the body. So they get into the bloodstream to be able to provide some normal condition. So they are taken from where we take them 
where they are deposited to where they should be used by abomen. Hormones. When hormones are produced, let's say you are having high blood pressure, hypertension, and the body has gotten the signal that your BPs are high. The body produces a hormone that will help you to dilate your blood vessels to reduce the blood pressure. When the body produces hormones, what transport the hormone from where it is being produced and where they should act on the body? It is the same abdomen. You took a hormone to enlarge your breast, your buttocks to get enlarging. So we gave it RM into the buttocks or in the lips to make the lips to get bigger. Um, what picked up those hormones from where they are deposited in the in the injection or in the vial to where they should be used to produce the effects it is being done by abdomen so that's how important it is in our body just so you know that um increased in conditions such as dehydration diarrhea or other cancer conditions that might spread Decrease in conditions such as acute infection, ascites, and alcoholism are all maintained by abdomen. <clears throat> so abdomen should not be found in a urine. When we sort of find them in a the urine, there is a kidney problem. If we find it in the urine, then there is a renal failure. There's a renal failure occurring. So there are certain things we should not find in the urine. If they are in the urine, like protein. Protein in urea is not a normal thing. Red blood cells is not normal unless you are having a regular message as a female. They might find trace element of the red blood cell within the urine. But once we find them there, glucose should not be found in the urine. If they are found in there, there is a, there is a health problem that's indicative. Um, know the normal level of abdomen. You should be able to know that. Um, to do this test, you do not need to, to you do not need to be fasting. Any question? Any question on abdomen? Next one is ammonia. 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 Ammonia is a byproduct of proteins breakdown. So when proteins are catabolized, what comes after the breakdown of proteins is ammonia. And uh, <clears throat> ammonia in itself can be created by bacteria acting on the protein in the gut. So we can also produce ammonia in the gut. And that's why when you have liver problem, you take lactulose. You take lactulose when you have liver problem to help to excrete this ammonia from the GI system because they are produced a lot within the GI tract. So um, if they are increased in the body, they can cause mental problem. <clears throat> it makes you confused. It makes you retarded. So when you have liver condition, you take lactulose, which is a laxative, 
to help to excrete the high level of ammonia in the body. Now, <clears throat> these byproducts of protein breakdown, they are metabolized by the liver and can be excreted in the kidneys as urea. So when you get the word B-U-N, blood urea nitrogen, that's, that's how we say B-U-N. It is a laboratory test for both the liver and the kidneys. Because ammonia can be metabolized. Ammonia, like I said, like, like we said, ammonia is metabolized by the liver. It can be broken, uh, it can be excreted out of the body by the kidneys in the form of urea. <clears throat> so when there is increased level of ammonia within the body, <clears throat> it leads to increased level of the blood urea nitrogen laboratory value. BUN value is increased when you have increased amount of ammonia. So, it is a test that tells us that there is a malfunctioning of both the liver or the kidneys. These levels might result from other hepatic disorder, which might lead to encephalopathy, brain problems. Venous level of ammonia are not reliable. Venous level of ammonia are not reliable. Um, so we cannot rely on them. So, 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 so there the, 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 the might be other reason why they might be high. Now, the encephalopathy, if you have a liver condition and you do not take this lactose to clear out ammonia from your system, patient might go into coma due to the high level of ammonia in the body. That is possible. That's why doctor will always prescribe these medications when someone has a uh, liver issue. And uh, lactulose, um, the, the, sometimes when you see a patient who has this problem, the doctor will ask you, stretch your hands forward, stand up, close your eyes, Stand straight, close your eyes, stretch your hands. The one while you're having, they are doing neural checks. So if you have increase, increase, or increase, increase in the body, it, uh, there'll be there'll be a direct dysfunction of the neurological system, which can be determined, which can be diagnosed by doing those tests that that will ask you to do. Um, the value is in the book. You can look at your, your sunders. Patient needs to fast. They can drink water. They can they can refrain from smoking up to ten hours before the test can be done, because smoke also can increase the level of ammonia. So smoking can increase level of ammonia. That's why they got to stop smoking. They can drink water before the test. Not the enough food beside water. Um, the specimen is placed on on ice and taken to the lab right after it is drawn from the body. All, 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 all laboratory tests for liver include the ALT, the AST. Um, you have like a test like a 
the amylase I'm, I'm, I'm sorry the, the alt the uh ast and other tests that we do for the liver test uh for the liver are all included in here look up the amylase the amylase is another test we do um for the pancreas and the salivary glands this can aid in the digestion of complex carbohydrates and can be excreted from the body by the kidneys. Um, in the case of acute pancreatitis, the amylase level might exceed but very high. So in an acute pancreatic condition, the normal level of amylase will be five times the regular level. So meaning when there's a pancreatic condition, the amylase level will be increased five times the normal. Um, in chronic conditions, it might be high, but does not exceed three times the normal value. So the normal value is between 25 to 151. In acute condition, in acute, this value is five times. In chronic condition, it's three times. So chronic is three times. Acute is five times higher than the normal value. You can look up lipids, bilirubin, which is very important. Bilirubin is produced by the liver, the spleen, and the bone marrow. And it's also a byproduct of hemoglobin breakdown. So when the blood cells are destroyed, what comes after the blood stroke destruction is bilirubin, which can surface in the skin as jaundice, which will cause uh, the eyes will become yellowish, uh, the, the palm become yellowish. When there's an increase bilirubin within the body, it leads to that. Um, you have direct bilirubin. You have total bilirubin which can circulate in the bloodstream. You have, indirect, you have direct, indirect, and total bilirubin levels. Look at the values and look at the function of this bilirubin. You have the lipids, you have proteins, and then uh, the last, one of the last tests here you want to look at is the glucose status. Glucose status. Glucose status. Um, before we leave, I'm not going to run, run over it like for a few seconds. The glucose status talks about um, how our body can maintain normal blood sugar level. So when we eat food, at least it takes an hour for our body to metabolize or break down our glucose, our blood sugar, so that the cell can use them. The blood sugar should not be high above 110 or 120 some books it should not be lower than 70 um if it's lower or higher than those numbers it's regarded as abnormal blood sugar level which can have <clears throat> signs and symptoms vividly clear on the body um when you do the blood sugar um <clears throat> if we do the fasting blood sugar is between 70 to 110. Um, if you do 
Glucose tolerant tests for non-pregnant women is between 60 to 100. For 60 minutes when you are fasting, it should be less than 200. 120 minutes when you are fasting, it should be between 70 to 120. Um, the glucose two hours postprandial test should be less than 140. The glucose postprandial should be less than 140 gram per deciliter. Meaning after eating in two hours, <clears throat> it should be less than 140. That's what it means. <clears throat> then we have the HbA1c which is the glycosylated hemoglobin test. It is a test that, that determines for us how our body has been maintaining blood sugar level for the past three to four months. That's the function of the HbA1c test. Um, the HbA1c, um, it has various levels, which is in your book. Look them up. If you are diabetic, if it is... Uh, 7% or lower than 7%, meaning you are doing well, meaning it is in control. <clears throat> if you are diabetic, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, if it's between 7 to 8% and you are diabetic, meaning it is fairly controlled. And in a worst case scenario, if it is above 8%, meaning you have a poor control of your blood sugar. Which is not good, which is very bad, which can expose you to a lot of complications like DK and other things. Um, it, it does not require us to, to it does not require us to be fasting to do the HbA1c, which is the glycosylated hemoglobin A1c test. It's not require us to fast. Um, so we do it after the fasting blood glucose. We can do the diabetic, the diabetes mellitus autoantibody panel, which can evaluate how resistant our body is to insulin. So this can diagnose for our type 1 or type 2 diabetes mellitus. So if the body is producing insulin and the body is resistant to insulin, it can be diagnosed by the auto. Um, the, di the diabetes mellitus autoantibody panel for type 1 patient and uh, who might be having insulin allergy. So it, ha it has a title. It should be less than 1 to 4. It should be less than 1 to 4. These things are in a book. So if you've been reading the Sundays, you have not come across it. If you don't know them, meaning you're not studying the book on a very serious note, meaning you're not reading it. And if you're not reading this book, it's hard because this 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 this, this is the bare wrap of the anchor. It is it is the first part of the anchor preparation. You have the renal function test, like the serum creatinine, which is very important. You want to look up the serum creatinine, look up the BU and the blood urea nitrogen. Also, another important test. You have the calcium test, or uh, the calcium, the calcium, the magnesium, the phosphor. All those things are important for our body. And you have the thyroid study, which talks, which talks about the thyroid stimulating hormone, the TSH, the thyroxine, the T4, the triiodothyroxine, or 
trihydrotyranine, the T3, all these different thyroid levels are very important to know. Then you have other things like uh, hepatitis testing. Their values, descriptions, um, nursing considerations, they are all in the body. You have the HIV testing. You have like uh, the CD4 count. Why is it important? For CD4 count, it monitor the progression of the HIV in our system. So we we start anti-retroviral anti medication depending on the level of the of the CD4 count. That's how we started. Um, the normal CD4 count is between 500 to 1600. The normal CD4 count, CD4 count is between 500 to 1600. Now, this CD4 count is within our body. So in the case of HIV infection, you have the GP120 on the HIV viral and the body of the human has the CD4 count. So these two things, this glycoprotein, they attach together. And that's why um, they, when, when HIV first was, was discovered, um, we did not have enough mechanism to fight the virus. And that's why it became stigmatized. It's beginning a stigma in the world and we could not find it easier to control because at the point in time, we did not have any medication, we did not know any means how we could how we could break the barrier between the GP120 and the CD4 count. We did not know that until lately, a lot of improvement that have occurred that now we can take other vaccines, we can take other medication, other injection, that if someone has HIV and you can have sex with them unprotected, uh, you can still not get the virus. Because now we have found a lot of means that we can control the binding of this GP wanting to the CD4 count in the blood or uh, in our body cells. So the CD4 count, this, that, that, that's the normal one. Um, in general, the immune system remains healthy. Once our CD4 count level is above 500, our body can remain healthy. So these are things we look at. Um, there's a problem if it's between 200 to 499, we are having a problem. If it's lower than 200, meaning we are in the H, we are in the ACE area, meaning our immune system has been broken down. So these are these are things that, that, that are within your books. And if you've been reading this book, you can see this thing in the book, you can read them, meaning you've not been studying. And then we just have these books in our hands. Uh, when we read it, we open the book, we read one line, and you put it back. Hey, you can be reading this and you think that the anchor is going to go to the anchor and make a pass. It's not possible. When you read, when you read these materials, you got to read like you you know what you want. It's like you're sending your kid to school, and the kid is not uh doing what you want the kid to do. And you you don't expect the kid comes home, does not study, don't do assignments, they're not going to perform well in the school. Your kids come home, you come to them, you put it on the table. Even if they had a third class, you have to monitor the progress of the kids in school. So if we can do that to the kids, and you cannot do that for yourself, meaning, meaning you're not bring for the end class. These are a lot, there are a lot of things in this book. In, uh, in this book, if we do not study them, we don't know them. And 
all of us in this group chat, in this telegram group, we all have this. We, we, we all have this book. Everyone has copy of this book. But there are things that sometimes when you read from this book, it sounds very foreign to our ears. Only because we've not had the time to sit down and read this book. And if you can't read this book, like page, page, page to page, you just say for the end class. You must complete this book. The other important thing you must complete, then you can move on to other things. <clears throat> if you cannot, <clears throat> if you cannot complete them, move or uh, moving forward becomes difficult. So you want to make sure when you pick out the book to read, you read it well and understand what you are reading. Because the more you do it, the better it becomes. Any question?